on Sagittarian matters, emotional maturity, embodiment, cats, dogs, former friends, astrology, and more with my guest, Jessica Lanyato. Stay tuned. Sagittarian matters, Sagittarian matters, what's the Jessica Lanyato is an internationally respected astrologer and psychic medium who has been in private practice with clients all over the world since 1995. She is a triple Capricorn. She has a wonderful podcast called Ghost of a Podcast, and you can find all of it along with horoscopes and more at lovelanyato.com. Jessica Lignato, welcome back to Sagittarian Matters. Thank you for having me. I love Sagittarian Matters. You're an esteemed Capricorn. We love having you here all the time. Thank you so much. My North Node's in Sagittarius. Oh, really? I don't know what the North Node does. The North Node is, um, it has many names, but the, the North Node is basically like what your soul is journeying towards in this lifetime. Mine's in Sagittarius, so hence the appropriateness of my of my presence here upon the Sagittarian stage. Wonderful. I, I do have to tell you, um, I asked friend to the show, Morgan, if she had any questions. And she was like, I feel like, she said, I feel like I'm getting more into my moon sign as I am going through my 40s. Mm-hmm. And she, she was like, is that a thing that happens? How do I embrace, how do you embrace your moon sign as you age? That's really interesting. You know, I don't know that that is like a universally uh, 40s thing. However, the sun, aka your sign, is your identity and your will. And the moon is your heart. It's your emotions. It's your feelings. It's your needs. And as we grow, we have the potential to develop our emotional maturity and our emotional embodiment. And my whole work is kind of predicated on the idea that that is what is ideal and best to have emotional maturity. Um, and kind of, I guess, I guess the best way of putting it is like presence and to be self-referential. So I don't think it's specifically a forties thing to embody your moon sign more, but I think it's a sign of growth. Um, and, uh, you know, the best way of doing it is to just, I mean, to just keep on, it's basically like, applying your wisdom. It's applying all the lessons you learned in your thirties and your twenties and your teens and actually embodying them instead of theorizing about them. You know, you, you, in your youth, you, you go forth and you like walk into walls and you're like, Oh my God, when I walk into walls, it really hurts. And then in, when you kind of become more of an adult, when you become more mature, you can be like, Oh, look, there's a wall here are my feet. I do not have to point those feet into the wall. I'm going to make a different choice before I'm hurt. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that's that's a moon move, really. That's a moon move. That's, that's I've never move. heard the term emotional embodiment before. Really? No, I've heard. I heard about move long day. I mean, I hear about you know embodiment and being like, oh god, you know, getting into your body as you get older. And but I never hear about emotional embodiment. I mean, I think emotional embodiment. What I experience is as, as through the work that I do is that people contact me and they have questions. Right? They're like, what do I do? about my job or my love life or my this or my that. 
And it's all very heady. So there's a lot of feelings and the feelings are chaotic or they're intense or they're confusing. And then there's the thoughts. And what we tend to do is we follow the thoughts and we get invested in stories and explanations and defenses and excuses um, as a way to kind of like not lose ourselves in the feelings. And the problem with that is it's like, it's like knowing you have to puke, but refusing to puke. So you just end up nauseous longer. You know what I'm saying? So emotional embodiment is really about being able to be present and whole with the emotions without converting them into thoughts or actions before you're clear about what the emotions even are. And that is a real skill. And it's not one that most people are good at, especially people in cities or people with distractions or people with mobile phones, Mm. (laughs) a.k.a. everybody. What do you think of are the markers of emotional maturity? It's a really great question. And it's actually the topic of a lecture that I'm giving at uh, Norwalk, which is a Seattle-based astrology conference in late May 2019. Um, and I think, you know, I wish that there was like a, a single pinpointed answer to that. But ultimately, I think emotional maturity requires self-reference. It requires being able to refer back to your own felt experience um, and to be able to stay with it long enough to determine, am I behaving both towards myself and towards others in the world in a way that's consistent with what is authentic and true for me and also what I intend, like what I want to be doing. Um, And most of the time, most of us, the answer is no, actually. There's like ways that we're like compromising or we're just like phoning it in or we're trying to be pleasant or whatever. Um, And a lot of times we're hiding things, you know, and, and I know this because of the work I do that most of us, most of the time are hiding from ourselves, from others. And so emotional maturity really requires the ability to be able to say, I know I'm hiding. I know I'm being disingenuous and it's because it's the best I can do right now. And I'm going to stay with that for now, mm-hmm. not being perfect. Um, it's about being able to, to be present for the ways in which you're, out of balance with yourself or you're disingenuous or whatever. Does that make sense? Totally. I mean, I have to say it's neither here nor there, but I struggle with emotional perfectionism because also as an advice columnist, as someone who's been obsessed with advice for my entire life, I feel like there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. And when my like natural, physical, emotional, whatever leads me to not doing things in the way that I know is like the exact right, perfect way that I'm like, "Ah," you know, now, those right there are some Capricorn problems, and we both know you have a lot of Capricorn in your chart. I mean, hashtag I Capricorn problems. and and perfectionism. I mean, as a hypervigilant and perfectionistic person myself, I think are basically the greatest qualities. No, I'm joking. Um, but uh, I think I think that all skills become liabilities when they become rigid or overused. Wonderful. And this is a great pull quote, ladies and yeah. gentlemen. Get out your pad and paper. That's right. Pull pull a quote. I never heard that before, but I just made it up. But yeah, that's that's the work. The work is to be able to be flexible and fluid with our use of of our tools and ideally with our use of well-developed tools. So, you know, you want your hypervigilance and your perfectionism to to inform mastery of a concept or a skill. And then you need to be able to be like, okay, so I've shifted from mastery to rigidity. And that's that's where I'm out of alignment with myself. 
Mad- oh my god, magic's happening in there. Magic, aka, I just reminded myself to be on a podcast with you for some reason out of town. Wonderful. Oh. <laughs> um, I have some. I have some listener questions, but my second question to you, because I guess asking about emotional maturity was one of the questions. My question to you is, um, you know, as somebody who I guess is, you know, will sometimes self-soothe by just staring at Instagram and Twitter. I have found myself following several different kind of um, public debacles slash, you know, public skewering, public shaming of people who I think are otherwise doing pretty good work, who are on the same side as me at the end of the day, especially during these times. Um, People on the same side as me who are making stuff, producing stuff, being vulnerable in public, making mistakes that are also in public. And they're not egregious mistakes like Michael Jackson level mistakes. Right. They're kind of a smaller level mistake, but still, you know, there's, we're in cancellation culture, of course, right now. And so I'm wondering how to negotiate with public people when they make a mistake, you know, like what, yeah. as a viewer or as a public person or as somebody who follows them and is disappointed, like, what do you, what words do you have during these times? I know it's such an important question. I, there, there's so many like things that come up in my brain about that. And one is I deeply passionately believe that if we are condemning and punishing, whether it's to ourselves, to our heroes, to to others, then we become part of the problem. I really believe that. And I I want to hold space for the difference between like you know, somebody perpetrated physical violence, somebody went out of their way to intentionally and cruelly and maliciously harm another that's not really what you're talking about right you're talking about people who are like i'm trying to talk about race in a responsible way and i said some fucked up things and it didn't come from malice or hatred it came from gaps in my self-awareness um i think that that when we go straight to blame and punishment what we do is we signal to everybody who's trying that if they're not perfectly there then they should have a shame. And and where we have shame, I think it it fuels the worst of ableism and classism and racism and homophobia and all these things. And the truth is, most people are not experts on everything. <laughs> um, and if we don't have room to make mistakes and have a learning curve, I think we have we have a problem. And I think there's a meaningful difference between this feels problematic. Can we unpack it? Or I'm, I'm really in disagreement with you about X. I, you know, and I want to hold space for like, we can have disagreements or whatever it is. And you are fucked up. You've done something wrong, this kind of blame. And I think especially what happens in, um, progressive culture and counterculture. And this is something that, you know, as like queer women, we have seen our whole, lives, I'm assuming you too, um, is that we, when we expect a lot from somebody, uh, especially from a woman who is doing good in the world and then they slip, we're like, Ooh, I'm going to punish you because I hold you to a much higher regard than I hold others to. And that's a problem. I mean, it's a real problem. I remember once before it was, it was maybe like the year before all that stuff with Louis CK came out that he was doing all this fucked up shit, shit with women. I posted a quote of his and you know, it was a fucking great quote. It was a great quote. He's said lots of really smart things and done lots of really smart things in addition to being a total skis and um, fucked up guy. And 
uh, several people got really mad at me. And they were like, how dare you post this thing from Louis C.K.? He's a terrible person. What is wrong with you? And I had no idea what they were referring to. Like, I am not an expert on all the things at all the times. And instead of being like, hey, did you know that this is actually like, this person is really, you know, a questionable person. He's done these things. It wasn't like proof. And at the time, I, I don't know. Um, and inviting me into the conversation, there was immediate blame and kind of punishment. And I think that that this is a, a really wrong way of approaching things if we want to all grow and be better. If you just want to be mad at people, it's a great way of approaching things. That's that's my long-winded first take on it. What's yours? God, I mean, I do, you know, I like the idea of holding our community accountable and having enough respect for people that you feel free to push back on ideas of theirs that are half-baked or that feel hurtful or problematic to you in ways that maybe they don't see. Like holding your community accountable and all being on the same page and having this interaction is great. But yeah, it's different than us being like, that person's in the trash. That person's service they just provided, all their hours of labor, possibly unpaid if you're somebody you follow on social media. Um, You know, I think I think that that seems counterproductive, especially at these times when I mean, you know, when when the shit goes down, we're all going to be in the same in the same bucket, (laughs) the same bucket of undesirables, uh, you know, per this administration, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, yeah, I think a little bit of generosity, a little bit of just like, ooh, how much how must that feel to be on both sides of that? Um, it can go a long way. I don't, I mean, I'm a big proponent of private conversations. I don't, there's something so weird to me about people that try to call people out in the comments and then get inflamed when people don't respond to them in the comments or have a full public sparring in the comment section of their Instagram page. People like, I can't believe that person hasn't responded to my comment. They deleted my comment. I personally, Nicole George's and everyone, you can quote me on this. I don't, you can put it on a bumper sticker. My, no. my Instagram page, my social media, it's not the Jezebel comments forum. Yeah. If I don't like the thing you're saying, <laughs> if you're trolling me in my own space, I will delete your comment. If you want to have a conversation with me, have a conversation with me via DMS, whatever. If you want to use your own platform to talk about how I'm the worst person, feel free. But like, I'm not going to be like, this person came and tacked a poster to the outside of my house that says I suck and I'm leaving it there so that I'm not silencing them. Like, yeah, you get to hold up that poster, but like, you have to stand on the sidewalk. Like, yeah. I get to have a safe space for myself. I have a safe space for myself. That's my, my Instagram page isn't a community resource. It's just my Instagram page. Anyway. Yeah, no, that's real. And it's it's really... You know, it's really there's not a single answer because it's like, you know, we're talking about millions of people. Right. And and some people are like, I want to have these conversations in public. I don't DM me. And other people are like, only DM me because this is not like the public forum is not where I'm going to have something deep. You know, there's like there's not a. I think that in terms of like the action part of it, there's so many ways that are the right actions in different situations with different people. But again, it's like back to this like emotional kind of maturity and and embodiment and accountability. It's like if you're outraged that someone that you respect and care about has made a mistake and you want to say to them, you've really fucked up and I want to hold you accountable because I care about what you're doing and I care about how you're talking about my community or, or these people or this situation then coming at them with rage, coming at them with a the blame is not, it's something you do 
to facilitate growth or to, to facilitate even conversation. I mean, when you're yelling at someone, they're not listening to you. They're thinking how to defend themselves. Mm-hmm. And if what you're really trying to do is be a part of change and, and the evolution of society, then think about how you're doing it. I think that's a big part of all of this. This cancels culture, this call out culture is really just like, I'm going to show, I'm going to showboat how I'm right. And you're wrong, mm-hmm. how I'm, I'm progressive and you're pretending. And, you know, if you've got something to prove, that's about you. And if you want to have a conversation, then take a moment to to feel into what it is that you're actually trying to say and whether or not you're adding to the conversation or you're just screaming into a wind tunnel because we have more than enough of that right now. And, you know, I think um, I've had some really... um, useful and thought-provoking engagement with people in my DMs. Um, And then I've had people in my DMs being just like, you're bad. Here's my proof. Somebody, I did, uh, I do Solidarity Sundays once a month, which is like a, like kind of, it's connected, I think, to Indivisible, but it's like a feminist activist uh, meetup, I guess is the best way to put it. And I posted a single photo of it, uh, you know, just a bunch of us writing postcards, And somebody wrote me a very angry DM saying, fuck you, Jessica. Instagram activism isn't real activism. I don't know why you're pretending to be an activist. I do not identify as an activist. But it was a very angry DM. Right. Written from the streets while somebody was at a protest? Like, right. who? <laughs> exactly. I mean, and, you know, maybe that person is a, a, a activist and they dedicate their, their whole lives to activism and they see me writing postcards and they think that is not real activism. How dare you share it with your Instagram feed? Um, that's possible that they feel that way. However, A, I learned nothing from that engagement. B, I got nothing from that engagement. C, neither did they. Um, and also not, I know I, I don't identify as an activist. Have people have identified me as an activist. I don't identify as an activist myself, but, um, but this thing of like, you're not a- being active in the way I am. You're not being active in the way I think you should is nuts and burger. It's kind of like, well, why are we all supposed to act in the same way? We can't, we, that's not, that's not realistic. And also again, that person was just trying to yell at me for yeah. whatever their reason. And I don't know their reason. So, you know. I'm just, it's kind of, it's fucked up. <laughs> my, my impulse is to take my bag of stones and start throwing them back and be like, it, it's actually, it's ableist and classist to think that every person can show up to like a march or a sit-in or a whatever. Like people are just mm-hmm. doing their own thing, what they are able to do. And you're actually doing quite a bit in different ways than what they're doing. And what they have to give is valuable. And what you have to give is valuable. Yeah. Yeah. Gee, and also Willikers. this idea that, that again, like, because... I have a social media presence or like a public facing life in some ways that what I do or don't do is open for someone else's criticism or debate. There's like a layer that you and I are talking about where that is the case. And then there's a layer where it's not your fucking business what I do. You know what I mean? Like I, it's not your business where I buy my sneakers. Actually, it's actually not your, you don't own me. And just because I give, I, I'm, you know, I do certain parts of service for in the world, or I have a public facing career. Doesn't mean you own my choices, my actions, my attitudes. Like, no, no one individual gets to own that, and the collective doesn't agree. So, it's all on, you know, it's like yeah. personal accountability again. And um, I don't know, it's so, it's a very emotional topic. 
It is an emotional topic. And it just, you know, I just feel like sometimes when I see people biting on each other in public, it makes me feel just sad for everybody because everyone at the yeah. end of the day isn't closer at the end of that. It's not like, oh, we're working in conjunction with each other to try and be better. It's just like, I canceled you, you canceled me, my friends canceled you, your friends canceled me. Like, it's just like, yeah. Yeah. And it's just yeah. a bummer. And I'm just like, well, what do you want? No one to do anything? Like, I don't know. Anyway, okay. Right. I mean, I think we have to be able to disagree with each other and we have to be able to make mistakes in public. You know, I think that that's, that that's again, emotional maturity is required here to be able to make mistakes in public and be humble and to learn and grow and keep on being in public and to to have, like, grace for others, you know? To, like, you can't be, like, you can't punish people for making mistakes and then continue to try in public and not expect someone to punish you. That's not going to happen. So I just think, you know, there's like an astrological backdrop to this or underpinning to this, which is Saturn and Capricorn and Pluto and Capricorn, which are coming closer and closer to a conjunction. Um, And this is, this is like a time in society where we become punishing and where we also have to kind of answer to both systemically, you know, across societies and also individually, we have to answer to the, um, the rules of society. So this is why we're having this unpacking of governments and religious institutions and corporations and even the nuclear family structure, these structures that society is, is kind of like written around. It's, they're all being questioned in these really deep and meaningful ways um, because we're looking at the underside of it. And as we do that, it's easy to want to blame and shame because if I'm blaming and shaming you, I don't have to deal with my own, my own shame. I don't have to deal with my own responsibilities and how I am a part of this fucked up system, maybe over there instead of right here. And so we project out these feelings because they're so hard to sit with. Um, But again, this is not where authentic change gets integrated. So it can happen on the surface level, but if, if everyone is achieving change, through punishment and blame, then the change isn't real. It's just, it's like a facelift. It's not a meaningful change. And that's, uh, you know, as an astrologer and a spiritual person, I want to see meaningful change in individuals and in society at large and not a facelift. I don't want to see like a reshuffling of power bullshit, right? I want to see like a a, a profound and meaningful transformation in, in the direction of more humanity and humanism. But apparently I don't rule the world. So I don't know if that's going to happen. I would vote for you, just so you know. Today's episode is brought to you by Shoshana Ruth Wechter, Michelle Lemoyne, Ken Vellante, Mary Pinson, Tony Pinto, Jill Soloway, and Christy Herod. If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, including producer Chris Sutton, please send $5, $10, $500, that's your business, via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. That's hornet like the insect, leg like its appendage at gmail. Thank you for your support, and we look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it too. Don't be scared. That's Ponyo's voice. Um, here is a question from a listener. Dear Jessica and Nicole, um, a few months ago during a tricky conflict time, several of my friends walked away from me. I didn't feel I was given the care and honesty I deserved. 
I now see them everywhere and there have been talks about talking about what happened and moving forward. How do you know whether to put effort into resolving a thing versus completely walking away from people who hurt you? I see these people everywhere, so total avoidance is not an option. Signed, troubled in, troubled in town. Okay. Troubled in town. Did you make that up? Yeah, Thank you. I wish more people would like give pithy little sign-offs. People have have started getting the gist of my deal and started signing their own, but when they because when they don't, I make it up for them, and mine are never as good. I feel like you're you're better at it than I am. I tried to do it. I tried to force it on my podcast. It didn't work. Oh. Um, okay, so so troubled in town. Um, <laughs> do you want to hit it first? Let me hit it. <laughs> hit it. Um, <laughs> how do you know? Well, I think avoidance was never an option. Just I think I think that you can be polite and recognize their humanity, even if there's somebody who's hurt you. You can kind of still do the things you're gonna do. Give them a little smile. Walk away. Hi. Okay. Bye. Um, you know, you don't need to have them not exist or pretend like they don't exist. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes it's just time and space. Like I've had friends that I've had conflict with or felt abandoned by in different moments. And people have been like, why are they still your friends? And I just, you know, and I'm like, you know, there's just something else there that's valuable. You know, I take what I like, I leave the rest. I do a cost-benefit analysis of every situation. And sometimes I wait a little bit and then go back to that well and see if maybe there's something there. If, if you're continually going to a well that's dry, that's your answer. But if you know that you go back later because you're recognizing that things are going on for them or that maybe, you know, you, it says during a tricky conflict time. So maybe you were being unpleasant. You know, I heard somebody say, and I find it's very true, when I needed the most support, I found myself growling. And I find, I, I do that. The more that I, and also there's like a thing amongst teachers that's like kids that need the most help show it, kids that need the most love show it in the most unloving ways. And so it's possible during this tricky conflict time, caller, that you were being unpleasant because you were in a hard space. Um, and so maybe they reacted to that because they have their own histories or whatever. It's not because they're just cruel people who turned one day into that. So I would try to see the both sides of it and see if they have anything else for you or if you can personally work on your own feelings about what you need from them or what you can get from them and have some acceptance around that instead of, you know, beating up against a, a brick wall. It's very smart. And, and you're so right. It's it's the easiest time to be an asshole when you feel threatened. Um, I also I have a rule, which is don't process with people you don't trust. I love you've written that before. And I think about it all the time. What you actually... Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't process with people I don't trust. It took me, you know, the bulk of my life to, to really learn that lesson. And I still fuck up sometimes, but if somebody proves themselves to be unreliable in a way that is substantive, right. Um, then, then processing with them, you gotta be really honest with yourself about what are you trying to do? Are you trying to preserve peace? You can process to preserve peace and just be like, okay, we all make mistakes. We're moving on. Or are you processing with them to try to get back to where you were before? Is that possible? You know, have hurts been too great is the question, you know? And I think you, you, you know, you didn't give us enough information for us to know that, but I think there's, there's having humility about your part. And then there's also being honest with yourself about whether or not you're actually willing to trust these people anymore. And if not, then don't, you know, take off all your clothes and ask them to like have a deep and meaningful conversation with you. <laughs> like you don't have to be totally vulnerable and naked with somebody um, if they haven't 
earn that trust. So, yeah. Yeah. No easy answers. And also, like, in the queer community, it's a small community. You're going to see people who you've had breakups with, friend breakups with. I mean, you know, in Portland, there was a time I could not avoid this woman who had, like, serial tried to cheat with different people I had dated. I just couldn't avoid her to say, you know, anywhere I went, she just would pop up. And you just have to be like, all right, well, that's just, it's just happening. It's what's happening. That's just the thing. You have similar interests. You might be in the same place. Okay, then what? Don't act like a baby. Right. I can say. Right. Although, you know. Maybe you're a water sign and you are a baby in that way. In which case, act like a baby with the people you trust and don't let the people who you don't trust see your inner baby because they might be mean ass older kids who are going to pick on you about it. Like, you know, protect yourself if that's what's appropriate slash take responsibility for yourself either way. I like that. Stay tuned at the end of today's episode to hear a special clip of producer Ponyo gently snoring. Dear Nicole and Jessica, I have been dating myself for over a year and a half and it is so fulfilling. I'm beginning to consider dating other humans again in the near future, but I'm a little nervous. I fall in love easily and like that about myself, but approaching dating casually feels more appropriate as a next step and I've never quite known how to do that. I'm concerned that old unserving patterns will take over, which feels like it's keeping me more guarded than I want to be about letting romantic intimacy in. How do I find the middle ground that actually supports my growth? I mean, may I, may I jump in? Please. Okay. So when people say dating casually, I think they think that means something. Uh, I'm not really sure. I mean, listen. I know what dating casually means to me, but what I really hear you saying when, when a person says, I'm not good at dating casually, I fall in love easily. What they're saying is I fall in love easily and falling in love isn't casual, right? AKA you are not well suited to dating casually. That's not what's going to happen. Either you're going to fall in love or you're not going to like them. And so what you're really saying is how can I have boundaries? Do I have to have boundaries? I'd rather not have boundaries. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and so the answer is have boundaries. That's the that's the answer is to have behavioral boundaries because you know your nature is to not have emotional boundaries. Mm-hmm. Does, does that make sense? Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, listen. Casual sex Casual dating means you're not going to have sleepovers. You're not going to like do groceries. You know, keeping it casual means not being intimate or having that intimacy exist in a container. And if you're someone who falls in love easily, that's unrealistic. IMO. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So my attitude about that is, you know, again, have really healthy boundaries and know that if you're trying to really be a quote casual dater, what you're really saying is you're trying to draw out the period of dating before you make a commitment and you merge totally. Mm-hmm. And that's a behavioral, a behavioral boundary for you to identify and uphold instead of to just verbalize or theorize about. Mm-hmm. So that could be like how many times, how often do you want to text How often do you want to contact them? How often do you want to see them? You could set that in stone for yourself. Yeah. Before there's a person to fall in love with. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely right. And then you'll feel so proud of yourself. And then, you know, we've already talked on this podcast many times about taking it slow. 
the you don't know a bitch rubric. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, take it, take it slow. Why not? Take it slow. And if you know that you're emotionally not going to take it slow because you fall in love easy, then the work is to have those behavioral uh, kind of rules to slow your, your dynamic down. Yeah. Love that. Jessica, one of my listeners wants to know, how do you care for yourself after caring for so many other creatures? Me personally? Uh, that's a funny question. Uh, I mean, uh, I don't leave the house a lot. I don't socialize a lot. Um, and honestly, my life is, I would say, 90% about my work. So um, I I don't know if this is a great answer. Um, I don't know if this is a really great answer. But the, the reality is caring for myself and working are deeply interconnected for me. But you're a Capricorn. So, yeah. I'm sun, moon, and rising. So, you know, there's a lot of Capricorn in there. So I think I fail really intensely at self-care when it comes to exercising. I hate it. I don't do it. Um, in a way that is, is a, a, a patented failure, if I may, if I may call it patented. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's definitely like a place I really fail, in part because it's not related to service to anyone else. So it's like it's like a place that I really struggle Um, whereas there's so many other levels of self-care that are essential if I'm going to be able to, um, provide the service that I provide or the services that I provide. So it's like, you know, I do a lot of things and then I fail at a lot of things is the answer. I see. I see. Um, you know, I, I think that it's nice to have some transparency around the fact that sometimes people who you see publicly doing a lot of work, that might be the bulk of their life. Yes. Yeah. Like for me, my most productive periods, it was impossible for me to have done the things I did if I had been dating somebody else. You know, like people are like, how do you get so much done? I'm like, well, because there's no one else in my life except for my dog. Really? <laughs> you know, it was like I was dating people long distance or something. So I just had like tons and tons of space so I could get weird, get in my head, work till two in the morning. I had no one to answer to. And I could just work every day of the week if I needed to. You know, people that have families, people that have different day jobs, people that have significant others that need their attention, that they're going to have a different work output. And that's okay. They might have a different balance of their life and things that feed them. For you and me, with so much Capricorn, I think that the work is kind of part of the care. Yes, absolutely. I'll, I'll never forget that several years ago, I was having one of the worst years, one of the many worst years of my adult life. I mean, there's many times I could point to and be like, those were the worst, but it was a really terrible, terrible time. But professionally, I was getting opportunities and doing a lot more and they, they were, you know, I was successful professionally. And in that particular year, several people approached me um, in person and were like, you're obviously thriving this is what's going on for me. And I, it really struck me that, and, and for me, this was like, I wasn't on social media really yet at that point, you know, it, it existed. I just wasn't good at it yet. Um, and, uh, I, I remember really just being struck by like, Oh, what I'm experiencing and how I'm presenting, there's a meaningful gap there. And that's because my personal life is personal. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, my, per, my per, per professional life or my public life 
is public, right? And so I'm not I'm not sharing, you know, all the personal details. And a lot of people do. That's part of their their calling and their work. But I'm a counselor. That's not what I do. Also, I'm a private person. So I think that there's also you can assume that someone is thriving based on any number of things, and that doesn't mean that they are. And um, and that's just what it means to be a person. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If you have an advice question for Sagittarian Matters, call or text our advice hotline, 971-361-9998. Leave a message. We might answer your question on the air, and we promise not to answer the phone. That is a Sagittarian promise that you can take all the way to the bank. Okay, somebody wants to know about helping their dog with ADHD have boundaries with the cat. How can we get him to settle down so he can make a new friend? Wait, what? Wait, wait, wait. Dog has ADHD? Any advice for helping a dog with apparent ADHD to have better boundaries? Not not exaggerating, one of us is a therapist, and we really think that he has dog ADHD. We are working on training, but keeping them constantly separate is getting exhausting. He's improving, but still has a hard time not getting physically overwhelmed and hyper-focused when the cat is around. He has this problem with other dogs, too. How can we help him settle down so he can make a new friend? I don't like talking about animals, astrological sign, and I personally don't resonate with projecting uh, mental disorders on animals, uh, which isn't to say that I don't think animals have personalities and and tendencies like every other living creature. But I, I'm, if your dog doesn't like cats, why are we calling this ADHD? Can it not be that your dog doesn't do well with a cat? Because there's like cartoons about it. It's like a big thing. It's like a known thing that dogs and cats don't always get along. It's maybe it's not as modern of a thing. It's a thing though. It's, like, it's a temperament thing. A cat is like a, a moody, you know, kind of particular being. And a dog sometimes is just like tongue hanging out, yeah. wanting to like probably throw a tennis ball at the cat, wagging its They're tail. vigilant. Dogs are more vigilant. Um, They're like, they're, 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 they're pack animals and they're tracking, you know, their family and a cat can't be tracked. There's an expression called herding cats. It's as hard as herding cats because you can't hurt a goddamn cat. I mean, I've tried and it doesn't work. And you too. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, And so, so I think the first question I would ask these humans asking the question is, are you listening to your dog? If your dog is saying, I don't thrive with cat is this really a problem of the dog's mental wellness or is this a problem of you not listening to what your dog is saying, which is like, this cat fucking stresses me out. This cat fucking stresses me out or whatever, which is totally fair. You know, I, I think that um, our animals are just like our, uh, our friends. Like we don't know. I don't like my best friend's best friend necessarily. You know, like it's, we don't have to get along with everybody. So I, 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 I like a little chafe at, at the kind of premise of the question. Um, dogs are vigilant and I don't know what kind of dog this is, but certain breeds of dogs are really hypervigilant and obsessive. And, um, and I would, I would hesitate to, to call it like attention deficit myself. Um, I, because I, that's yeah. normal for a dog. I would make sure the cat has a safe space and then let them work it out themselves. Like the more attention, you know, dogs perceive any amplification of energy is kind of the same as anxiety to them. So like when you come home and you're like, I'm home, I'm home, I just got home. 
is the same kind of like uh, elevated stress level for them as like if you leave and you're like, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. Like they just, dogs, when you have them in a heightened energetic space, it's not good for them. It's best for everyone to be calm, assertive all the time. So when the cat comes around and you're tense about it and you're like, that's your brother, that's your best friend, that's your brother, that's creating anxiety for the dog. To you, you're saying human words that are like positive, positive, but the dog is still getting elevated. So if you could like be as calm as possible, give the dog treats when the cat's there, maybe have a special word that means calm down or go lay down, let them work it out themselves, but make sure the cat has a safe space it can go to if your dog decides to go bananas and chase it. Because also I feel like cats... Spaces for cats, like, you know, spaces that your dog's not going to be able to easily climb to. Because that might be the answer, that they just need to have different levels that they're living on. But again, I've had roommates that I don't get along with and I don't live well with. And, you know, and I've experienced with many people that I've consulted with because I do animal communication, you know, that one animal simply just doesn't like the other one. And this is not like a personality problem. This is, I mean, it's not like a a problem with the the individual animal's personality. It's a problem of compatibility and we are not all compatible, you know, and, and if you need to make these two live together and they continue to not get along or one of them tends, continues to not be well, then you have a choice to make and it's a terrible choice, but it's, it's, yeah, it's your choice to make basically it's just does one of them need to live in a different place or something yeah. also i want to say yeah. you're battling breed you know like your dog is animal first and then breed it's like dog and then it's the breed and the breed you have is probably something that is like in his dna ingrained to keep an eye on that cat see what it's doing make sure everything's in order my dog ponyo great with cats because she's a chihuahua pomeranian mix yeah i've had dogs that had terrier in them and a terrier is a cat terrorist like a terrier is meant to track and look for small animals and chase them and and, and, and murder yeah a hunting dog is you know made yeah. to like chase those animals and murder them Ponyo is trained to rest on my lap yeah that's her her role over time and so she's afraid of cats mm-hmm. I have this really awesome uh feral cat who's adopted me and he and you panda elizabeth henry is his name and he is amazing my studio i meet with clients in my studio it's attached to the backyard and when people come he literally walks them out walks them in he'll sit on their lap he'll he'll like he'll let them pet him but if we're in the house where he's not in control he's terrified of people terrified of people and you know it's like there's also an issue of like conditions what conditions are supportive to an individual animal not animals in general but like if your dog is really comfortable in the front room then only have integrate them in the front room at first you know what i mean like try to really listen to what your animal is telling you about their preferences and their needs instead of assuming that there's a way they should be because animals are people and people have quirks it's true yeah jessica Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me on the podcast. I love this podcast. I love having you on the podcast. Will you tell me, so people can find you on Instagram always. Is your name Jessica Lignato on Instagram? Yeah. At Jessica underscore Lignato because some weirdo stole Jessica Lignato. Weird. Yeah. You have to be a real fucking weird person to be like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to start an Instagram account. I'm going to name it at Jessica Lignato. And then when real Jessica Lignato, yeah, there's only one, uh, DMs you, I'm going to ignore her 
It's not even like a fan page or anything. Not that I think I have like fans that would make a page, but it's not that. But it's not just a gal named Jessica Lignato? There's, I can tell you something. There are not a lot of Lignatos on the planet and there are less Lignatos who spell it like I do because of the, like, there's different spellings of my last name. Um, yeah. And there are no Jessica Lignatos other than this one right here, this big guy right here, thumbs pointing at my face. The one, the only. People can find you on Instagram. People can go to your Patreon page. People can listen to Ghost of a Podcast on iTunes or whatever your thing is. And you're doing a live event coming up. Can you tell us about that? Oh, my God. I am. It's so exciting. On April 27th, 2019 at 7 p.m. in Montreal. Going is my hometown. Montreal is my hometown. And it's my first event that I'm doing in Canada. Um, I'm happy it's in Montreal. And I'm just going to be having a conversation with another astrologer, Debbie Stapleton, about astrology and self and astrology and society. And it's just going to be organic chat about these topics and that'll be from seven till nine and then from nine till ten there'll be like a little social hour where people can we can all chat and also people can meet other astrologers that will hopefully show up so local astrologers can kind of talk to people who are locally interested in astrology so if you're in montreal or if you can make it to montreal you should come but if you can't if you're far away there is a limited amount of of uh space for being a part of the event online on zoom. So you can like ask me questions and like listen in and be a part of it. Um, so you can check it out. Go to my website to the events page of lovelaniato.com slash events. Wonderful. I want to tell you one of the listeners after a question said, I love you so much. Thank you for sharing yourself with all of us. You impact my life on the daily and I'm so grateful and I'm going to echo that. So Jessica Laniato, thank you for doing what you do. Thank you so much. It's very nice. We all love you. Thanks. That's really nice. I love you too. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time. Without further ado, I present a short audio clip of producer Ponyo snoring.